about Joel Furman's book. <laughs> <laughs> and then when he comes on, we can talk Somerville, to Somerville, New Jersey's calling me. Oh. Answer it. You answer it. No, you answer it. It's not hitting your sky. Oh, wait. Is it? Great. Hello? Oh, hi, Lisa. Is this working now? It is. Yeah, I think it was a little off for a second. Oh, I think because I, I think because I was trying to connect before I accepted you, and it wouldn't connect me. I think that's what was going on. Oh. But finally, I accepted you, and then I hit it, and then it worked. Um, well, I'm Lisa. This is my husband, Jimmy. It's nice to meet you. Great. Where are you located? Columbus, Ohio. Oh, terrific. Yeah, Buckeye. Let um, me. I think I'm gonna. I think we're okay. I have my dog right next to me, but he's a little. He's being quiet, so I think he's okay. It's mm. cool. I have my dog right next to me too, and he's <laughs> he's good too. <laughs> Just sweating. I was just playing my son ping pong. Oh. Ping I worked pong. up such a sweat just from ping pong. <laughs> That's awesome. Um, all right. So I'm going to introduce, and then I'll introduce you, and then we'll get right into some questions. Okay. okay. Um, welcome to Lisa Beats Your Meat. Tonight, we have a New York Times bestselling author and a pivotal leader in the healthy living community. Uh, Dr. Furman has written several bestselling books, including Eat to Live, The End of Dieting, uh, the End of Heart Disease, and my favorite book, Super Immunity. It changed my life completely. Um, he's the director of the Nutritional Research Foundation and has a long list of accolades that I could go on. But most recently, he's written a new book called The Fast Food Genocide. Uh, it's a poignantly written book about the effects of a typical American diet on aspects of life you wouldn't necessarily think about. Um, we believe this book will help change minds and change lives, and we're so excited to talk to you about it. We just read it, and it was a well-written book, but it was it was good, man. Like you really <laughs> don't hold back, and it was it was great to hear a refreshing side of that. So thank we you. loved it. Um, thanks for talking with us. So thank you. My pleasure. Yeah, yeah. We've been at this for a little while, and uh, our podcast is mostly about you know healthy eating and things like that. And I must say, uh, your name comes up a lot. Lisa's been a little obsessed with some of your books. So to have the opportunity to talk to you, we're really excited and honored to have you here. Yes. Thank you. Yes. Appreciate it. Um, so first, I would like to ask you, um, what led you to this lifestyle? You know, no one comes out of the womb as healthy as you. So uh, you're a doctor. And did you, did you go into medicine with the intent of this lifestyle? Or was this something that happened organically? Like, how did you get to this? Uh, this diet and lifestyle, the nutrarian lifestyle. Right. Uh, nutritarian. Nutritarian. Like nutrient. There. Yeah, <laughs> nutritarian. Um, but anyway, um, I think I started eating healthier when I was about 10 years old because my father was overweight and sickly and he wanted to change and improve his own health and started reading books on health, which I read with him along with him. And so we both kind of studied it together to improve his health. At that point in my life, um, through the ages of like 13 to 20, I was a competitive figure skater. Mm -hmm. And by the time I was like 19, I think I were 20, I was third in the world in pairs figure skating with my sister. That's so we true. felt the eating right helped our stamina and, you know, and conditioning and things like that. So we just, but, but really in my early twenties where I decided to go back to medical school, it was really my passion for using nutrition as a therapeutic modality that motivated me to attend medical school to become a physician. So I anticipated and this type of career, never would I have thought though I'd have so much reward and, and the blessing of having to help so many hundreds of thousands of people through, you know, it's just, um, so it, my um, dreams have been more than realized in having a huge effect on so many people through my books and television shows. So really been um, an exciting 
career to be able to have taken a part in improving the health of so many people. Um, and and, and if, if people knew that the amount of cases of lupus or psoriasis and rheumatoid arthritis and ulcerative colitis that have reversed themselves, the people that have become normal, the amount of diabetics that have become non-diabetic, the amount of people with advanced heart disease, you know, and, and even I've had people with aortic stenosis and calcified valves that we've improved. I mean, there's so many cases where nutritional excellence was a powerful therapeutic modality to reverse disease. So it's been a very exciting tool. And I anticipated that nutrition, that, that the conventional medical approach of using a drug to try to solve conditions that are induced by unhealthy eating is barbaric, it's ineffective, and it's, real, and it's tragic. Yeah. In, in, innumerable amount of su needless suffering across this country with a barbaric form of medicine we have to try to treat people with poisons. Uh, well, that's why I, it's very interesting to me because the medical community as a whole uh, is very much into treatment and not into prevention. And no sure. one talks about diet ever. You know, he just got... Uh, you had knee surgery, and you had at your your disposal like three months of Percocet. And it's like, ah, uh, that's bizarre. So, yeah. what's your frustration with the the medical community as a whole? Why aren't they pushing uh, this healthier lifestyle? Well, that, that's right. It's not only they're not interested in prevention. It's that when you design a diet style that is lifespan promoting, with you don't have a risk of heart disease or cancer, and you live to be 100 in great health. It's also therapeutically effective, mm -hmm. and it's a powerful tool to enable people to reverse their disease. So they're not giving people with psoriasis and lupus the opportunity to get well. They're not giving them informed consent, telling them that through nutritional excellence, they could perhaps get completely well and not require drugs the rest of their life. They're not told with diabetes or heart disease or high blood pressure or high cholesterol that they can get rid of those problems and not have those high risks hanging over their head. So the answer to your question of why they're not doing it, you know, I don't have the answer per se, mm -hmm. but we know that if we go through the evolution and the history of medical care and how it developed, they really, um, it's not the focused or skill that doctors have. They don't have the skills in motivating change. They don't have the skills in dealing with people with addictive behaviors. They don't have the skills in understanding how nutrition affects the body. Their skill is really um, surgical techniques and pharmaceutical and dealing with how pharmaceuticals can affect the body. So it's really not the specialty of the most medical profession. You go to a conventional doctor and their specialty is knowing how to prescribe medications properly. Right. You go to orthopedic surgeon, he knows how to repair a broken knee or, a, or an injured shoulder or something, or a plastic surgeon knows how to heal a cleft lip. So this is a skill, a body of knowledge they don't really know much about, most doctors. But there are doctors that are like myself that are becoming more highly trained in this field, but it's still such a small minority of physicians. But I see it differently because I don't see it as the role of physicians right. to teach people to live a healthy life. You know, I think it should be reading, writing, arithmetic and nutritional science. I think all Americans should be taught from grade school on up because this is the most critical thing that affects our ability to live a normal life. And we shouldn't be reliant on doctors to tell us how to eat. No. You know, any more than we reliant on lawyers to tell us how to eat. We should know how to eat to protect our health. And this is what people don't know. And we're it's been and we've allowed these um, we've allowed a political mess and the influence of the food manufacturers and the drug industry to control the conversation and to confuse people about the preponderance of evidence 
and what the studies that show us the, the, the studies with long-term credence because of their long-term studies, they use hard endpoints like depth, and people are all confused about every aspect of nutrition, and we've allowed these influences to infiltrate so people are just totally confused and don't know what the hell to do. Right. Yeah, so they just go back to what they've always kind of known. Yeah. Right. Um, or what that's, they think they know, you know, what they want to do or whatever. Yeah, that's when the want to do is the tough part. Yeah. Um, well, Jimmy, you want to elaborate on our, we're actually school teachers. Yeah, we, we, we're, uh, our day job is we're high school teachers in a fairly impoverished, uh, inner city, Columbus, Ohio. And, um, so I think we were both really drawn to, um, this book, you kind of get into, you know, most of what we talk about on our podcast is always health. We're obsessed with health and that's what, what we're trying to eat better. And we're excited about the nutrients and all this stuff, but to read and tr- your book, you, you did a good job explaining how this affects more than just health. It's it's brain capacity and depression and their right. function and how well they're doing in school. And, you know, that was really something interesting for us to hear because no one really hits on that so much. But you're saying right. that what you're eating is affecting your brain function. Absolutely. That's a major part of the book because people see it's destructive to the organs. They see how the eating is causing diabetes mm-hmm. and obesity and heart disease, but they don't see it's causing them to be depressed and to lose intelligence and to become demented. You know, when one in five Americans are mentally ill today because of what we're eating and people don't see it that way. We have this idea that it's just luck or it just comes out of the woodwork or it's just, you know, comes down on us in some crazy way or it's primarily genetic and doctors are just, they reinforce the idea that we're not responsible and we've had nothing to do with it. And I'm showing that not only did what we eat have something to do with it, but it's what our parents ate right. that caused the problem in the child. And even before you conceived the baby, what you could have caused autism, learning disabilities, loss of intelligence, propensity for childhood cancer or later life cancer. Because, and that's what's called fast food genocide, because what you eat affects future generations as well. Yeah. And so this is so critical. And I'm so excited and so passionate about this. And I think that this book is a... It's very interesting, but I think it's a perfect book for teachers yeah. to use to teach coursework in colleges and to teach to, you can extract so much information to, to teach students to learn about nutrition and to the, and the historical aspects and how nutrition affect the history of our nation and how it led to a, you know, splits and chasm and lead to bigotry and racism and crime and violence and drug use and drug abuse and addiction. And all these things are affected by what we eat. Yeah. yeah and, and 10 years of teaching social studies six years of getting a, a master's in history and I've never heard any bit of the, the nutrition come into no. any of these conversations. No. Um, and it's, it just clearly is a part of all of these stories. Right. Um, well the history, so that's awesome. You talk about that because you go into some detail about the South and their diet and their lack of di- um, niacin leading to pellagra, was it? Pellagra, that's correct. Pellagra. Could you explain that? Because to the, the layman listener that might be listening, um, that was mind blowing, that take of their diet leading to them to be violent. Right. Well, today we have these fast food diets mm-hmm. leading to people that lowers people's intelligence and has the propensity for drug use and criminal behavior, even anger and and the ability to, to be creative and to be controlled and to be patient. You know, so we're, we're losing our ability to take control of our life with the, with the current state of food today. And I'm tracing it back through human history and saying this has occurred for a very long time because in the because around the 1850s and the 1800s, we had hookworm and we had pellagra very prevalent in the South, which was, which is a, pellagra is a nutritional deficiency disease due to niacin deficiency because their diet called the three M's back then was, you know, maize or corn products 
with molasses and meats, mm -hmm. and their diet was niacin deficient because they weren't eating enough vegetables, and they were, it was an overly corn-favored diet, and it caused, the pellagra causes a causal neckness, it's called, a redneck. Right. The original term for rednecks were people we had pellagra was ubiquitous through the South, and it made people prone to violence. It made you mentally disturbed, more prone to suicidal and homicidal behavior, and it cr contributed to the violence in the South during the Civil War, but the medical profession and the health authorities in those days didn't know that it was due to a nutritional deficiency. They considered this due to a genetic defect in poor Southern whites, and they considered that they considered the, the differences between people, they considered it genetically influenced, and that was incorrect. It wasn't genetically influenced. It was nutritionally influenced. And the point is so important because we're doing the same thing today. Yeah. We're seeing, we learn in medical school that black Americans have increased risk of diabetes and leg amputations and strokes and, high, and, 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 worse, and, and more worse ability to be, become educated. Right. And, and we use that to support bigotry. We even learn in medical school that it's due to black Americans. It's not due to their skin color. To be had anything to do with their skin color. It's due to what they're being fed because black Americans live more in food deserts that have less access to healthy food. We look at black populations that live in access of healthy food access. They don't have those problems. We look at white Americans that live in food deserts that don't have access to healthy food. They have the same problems. It has nothing to do with skin color. That was Why, very confusing. It was skin color. It's all about food. We're doing the same things we did wrong in the 19... And, and, the, and we fought. And the eugenic movements, which came in the South, was kind of aligned with the white supremacy movement, mm -hmm. which drove blacks out of the South into northern cities. And then the fast food industry developed in the 50s, 60s, and 70s and took over the, you know, with processed foods and convenience foods and these foods we made during wartime that would be best, that would be stable on the battlefield, like Tang and Spam and Twinkies and don't, you know, and cookies and all these things. We, and so we herded cheap food into the inner cities and then people, then we store crime start to increase and intellectual deficits decrease. The point they're making now is that after the Civil War, when black Americans had access to vegetables and gardens they grew, they had more centenarians, they had very long-lived people, they did not have bad health compared to white Americans, they were doing even better. And they were achieving educational opportunities and moving forward to, be, to become economically well-off. So the point I'm making is we have all this stuff mixed up in American history. We have to understand the past to do right for the future. And we have to recognize that there's so much, um, so much of this information can be utilized today to change the direction we've gone and to save lives and prevent these tragedies that are occurring needlessly. Right. Man. Yeah. That's yeah. The, so the, the history part was crazy. And um, I think one thing I'd, I'll ask you to clarify, um, just in the title is called fast food genocide, but clearly you're not just talking about your cheeseburgers from the burger joint on the corner. Um, what, what are you defining as fast food? Like what, what are we poisoning our population with today? That's right. And I'm considering fast food as foods that can be accessed fast. You don't have to prepare it. You can get it right into your body quite quickly. It's calorically concentrated. It contains synthetic ingredients. And it doesn't have a lot of vitamins and minerals and phytochemicals. It's micronutrient deficient. So it's, it's frankenfoods. And they come in bags and boxes of donuts, cookies, rice cakes, breakfast bars, chips, soft drinks, candy, all the stuff that people are eating. It's not just the stuff you buy at a fast food restaurant. I mean, theoretically, 
a fast food restaurant could serve healthy food, right? They could have some fast food restaurants are now serving chilies on a basic quinoa and having bean dishes. I mean, so we're we're hoping fast food restaurants start to serve healthier food in the future, and they certainly could. But our American population has actually eaten a higher percentage of processed foods and fast food in the decades following World War II, the 1950s, the 1960s, the 1970s. We've seen a growing amount of obesity. We never used to see strokes and diabetes in teenagers. Now we see in in, in urban areas where we have, we call food deserts, referring to people where there are convenience stores and fast food restaurants and not a lot of supermarkets and, and produce access. In those areas of the country, we see seven times the increased risk of early life strokes. We're seeing people having strokes in their 30s and 40s, their lives are over, they're stuck in a nursing home the rest of their life, unable to care for themselves. We're seeing people with diagnosis of diabetes in their type two diabetes in their teenage years and early 20s. It's so tragic. And you know what, a statistic, one of the statistics that was so shocking to me is that with this growing number of people with a diagnosis of obesity and diabetes, we're finding that people who live in an urban center with a diagnosis of diabetes or, or obesity, if we track their distance to a supermarket based on mild, we can track their lifespan accordingly, and the years of potential life lost show that an ob- obese or diabetic person who doesn't have a supermarket in their community has 45 years of potential life lost. We're talking about tremendous loss of life here. And, and then, of course, fast food genocide is not just referring to the damage done to these communities in a very unfair and oppressive manner, but it's also about the damage we're seeing occurring to future generations. The, uh, the growth of autism, learning disabilities, um, and childhood cancer and autoimmune conditions that are occurring based on what the, other, what the earlier generations are now eating. In other words, we're seeing the damage magnified in future generations leading to more damaged children, starting with a start in life already behind the eight ball. They're already starting to be sick even before they're born and have their first taste of a fast food restaurant because of what their parents ate, which right. is so tragic to have these people with learning disabilities, attention disorders, autism. We're talking about potential for brain tumors and childhood cancer based on what your parents ate. Yeah. Um, well, that's actually super interesting, and I think that's a, a really great um, like idea that people don't think about is that as a mother, what I do to my body then gets – you know, my DNA changes, right? right. And, then, and then when I have a child, I'm passing on this, this basically like damaged DNA onto my child, and that child is now set back because I did so many things in my life. And it's – you know, we see that in our school. Um, you know, there's a host of issues that we see throughout our school, and – I don't know. It's just this a bizarre concept that I don't think is talked about enough, nearly enough. That's right. It's so bizarre because you're seeing damaged kids, but nobody's relating it back to the way their parents ate no. and the way the foods that are fed in that environment. And how are we going to stop these this damage to, from occurring in the future? How are we going to prevent kids from being damaged if we don't get this information out to people? You know, so this is such critical information to stop this um, the worsening of damage and this explosion of damaged children that's occurring, you know, it's really, um, this is so important information, you know? Yeah. And we talk to our, our kids about this, you know, we're obsessed with this stuff, but we're also in the classroom with them every day and they're receptive to it. You know, they're not getting it in health class. They're not being right. fed good food in the lunch line No. and they want it. 
they they, they see like I mean, talk about when you yeah. brought in some fruit one when day. When you bring in fresh fruit, you know, they're like, "Wow, what is that?" Because I don't think they like see fresh food every once in a while. You know, it's like a it's like a specialty to them. It's sad, but right. it's the truth. It so. is sad, and you know. And another thing that you learn in the ivory towers of medical schools and graduate <laughs> schools that's, is that they say that, oh, people in urban communities, if we bring the produce in and bring the healthy food and educate them, they're not going to eat it anyway. No, they would. I can tell you. It's I'm totally in there. <laughs> it's totally untrue. They see the damage happening around them, mm -hmm. and they want what's best for themselves and their children. And that's so much bigotry involved in that, that idea, that when you fully educate people as to the damage that's happening, and the, social, the lack of social energy being directed to this problem, and the fact that their future of their, or is being damaged or their children is being damaged, and people see the, the, the obesity problem, and people having leg amputations, and developing kidney failure, and, and we're talking about how many people are stabbed with a knife or shot with a gun, compared to everybody around them being damaged by these foods, yeah. and, the, and, and are medically dependent, and medically, and tragically, and why should you say, almost medically tortured. Right. Because the medical profession takes over your life, the drugs have side effects, you're in a brain fog, you're having tubes and noodles put in your body, you're stuck in hospitals getting all these procedures done. In other words, and then we have a, a medical care crisis which is completely unaffordable, mm -hmm. and people yeah. are probably not gonna pay for medical care, and nobody's discussing how to keep people from needing medical care. Right. In a totally crazy world, we're in an insane world. It is because upside down. You know, it's completely upside down. There's all these billions of dollars spent to confuse people and to wanting to keep people sick, barely living, so they keep eating the foods and taking the drugs instead of just taking care of the problem and telling people they don't have to be sick, you don't have to have heart disease, you don't have to get cancer, you don't have to get demented, you don't have to have a stroke, and you have the power in your hands to do the right thing. Yeah. And we can work together. We can work together with goodwill for each other, supporting each other in a way that's so beautiful. And, and, and I've shown in the book that that it, it's done, it works. Like in New York, we've had tremendous progress. When Mayor Bloomberg put those street vendors selling fruits and vegetables on the corner and allowed people to pay for food stamps and gave people more points if they bought healthy food versus unhealthy food, and we had all this publicity involved, and we started in, encouraging supermarkets to open up, how we increased the lifespan of New Yorkers, we, we increased, and we stopped these children, child, damaged children from occurring. So in other words, whatever was done, worked a tremendous to a tremendous degree and we can do so much more okay. if we work together on this on this issue yeah i think what I, I like about every chapter in your book kind of tells a kind of a blunt scary story but you end every chapter with uh you know a, the power to change you know we we can make changes in all aspects of you know nutrition and diet um so what, what are some of the big things that we can do moving forward as a as a, just a community mm -hmm. yeah right and and you know what's so important? What's so critical here is that you, you have to put the oxygen mask on yourself first, right? We want to be examples of great health for the community. But then you have to take a stance. You can't want to go along with conventional norms. You can't be afraid to, you can't be serving lollipops and birthday cake and sugar and soda at birthday parties. You can't be bringing, you know, serving Halloween candy. You can't be bringing donut holes and cheese doodles to soccer games. Mm -hmm. You have to be an advocate for healthy eating in your community. We have to have, sure, take care of yourself and your family, 
But then we have to work together to teach the outside world how critical this is and we shouldn't be poisoning other children or going along with it just because it's socially acceptable. Imagine if you bought cocaine for the kids who just played soccer to snort on. It's cigars because they hit the baseball. It's the same, just because it's the norm doesn't mean it's the right thing to do. You know, we have to start working together to stand up for what's right and actually debating this stuff and putting ourselves out there and and saying that this is gonna come not from the politicians, this is going to come from educators and celebrities and athletes and and teachers and you know we're going to it's going to come from all the pe- and parents and and from children who learn this information and want to be voices for it you know we have children say no to drugs and they learn that and they're okay to see these people with blackened lungs and death occurring with skull and crossbones people taking drugs and cigarettes but but they're not being told how really dangerous these foods they're eating are Right. And of course, the World Health Organization has classified, you know, these fried foods and these processed meats as class one carcinogens. Mm-hmm. A class, the science shows class one carcinogen. That's in the same category as asbestos yeah. and cigarette smoking. That's that's just as bad as drugs. And and one cigarette a week isn't as bad as probably one serving of, of French fries a week. No. You know what I mean? So the we're really so the point is is that we really gotta. Um, sorry about that. No, you're fine. We uh, really advocate this. We, yeah, this is a, a total. Um, how should we say? We have to join together, and every person has a role to play in having people learn this message. You know, and I'm and I'm excited about taking at, at being a, a, a large leader in this movement. But of course, people like yourselves are doing. Everyone's taking a part in this, and it really is. I think part of our American heritage is this idea of that everybody has a equal opportunity to success in the American dream, the right to happiness and good health and full have our full mental faculties to have success in everything in life. And, and, it's, and so we have to really work together to have these opportunity of, as available to all Americans. So I feel it's part of our um, social networking mm-hmm. and part of our own personal responsibility to bring this opportunity to have good health to all Americans. So well, well put. Um, well, we can we can come to a close. And um, here we the biggest thing we have we're advocates of uh, a healthy diet. We obviously advocate a vegan diet or plant based, I should say. Um, but our biggest thing here is we have a lot of listeners that are not um, necessarily plant based at all, and um, we would like to show how more convenient it is. Um, so, if do you what's your advice to to like the normal everyday you know, man who maybe doesn't understand the implications of what he's eating. But what advice do you have to that, you know, ordinary Joe for, for first of all, stopping eating the crap? And then how do you sustain eating what, you know, m- nutrient-dense foods? What are nutrient-dense foods? Yeah, they probably don't know. <laughs> <laughs> well, I don't know if we'll be time to go into all that, but the yeah. point here is that when you eat high-nutrient foods, when you eat foods that are designed for the human primate – Mm-hmm. To, to prevent disease, and the point I'm making right now is that diseases are completely unnatural. We're not supposed to have heart attacks and strokes. We're not supposed to get cancer. We're not supposed to get demented. Those are diseases of a recent human history, and they don't occur in prom- populations living on healthy foods, and they don't occur in their natural primate populations. In other words, we have an unprecedented opportunity in human history to live longer and better and healthier than ever before by these advances in modern nutritional science. This is a blessing. And when you improve your nutrition, your taste improves. Your smell improves, your creativity, your enthusiasm for life improves. Food tastes better, not worse. 
And we have such a great assortment of great recipes for people to learn. So true, there's some effort to change, but this is an opportunity to learn something new, to better people's lives, and I want people to learn, because when they learn more, this becomes what I call a no-brainer. You'd be crazy not to do this. Right. You have to be insane not to want to protect your health and enjoy food even more, not less. So it's really just that addicted person who, who and the addictions take over the brain, and they think irrational, even delusional thoughts, thinking that they're enjoying life more, being addicted to cigarettes, narcotics, or fast food, and they can't stop eating this way, and they're developing diseases, and they're gonna suffer with medical problems, but they're still gonna eat that same way that caused the medical problems to begin with, that's insanity. You know. Yes. So this is sensible, it's delicious, it's not that hard to do, but it takes, about, it takes a body of knowledge, and it takes some effort to educate yourself. But the effort, is tremendously worthwhile and pays you back a hundredfold. Oh, for sure. Uh, so, and you don't have to be a vegan to have to get the benefits either. That's what we were going to actually ask you. about giving up all animal products. I don't know what the word plant-based means. Some people mean it to mean vegan. Some people mean it to mean 90%. You know, but whatever the point is, is we want the diet to be nutrient-rich. It has to have a lot of healthy plants in it. The yeah. animal products, if you're eating, have to be held to a more moderate amount or small amount. It can't be the major source of calories in your diet. You have to eat a lot of these colorful plants, so you can't expect to have a normal brain. Right. You know? And we want people to really get, the, get, the, get this knowledge and understand what happens and why they feel like they can't change, because they can change. And they can change comfortably, they can be enthusiastic about it, and it can be fun. Yeah. Well, Man. well put. Anything yeah. else? Uh, no, I mean, just overall from the book, I just... Um, want to keep saying how I, I just like how it steps back in the history and I like that this goes beyond just our physical health you know you're going to get thin you're going to get trim you're going to feel better but just the, the mental aspects of all this and the mood and the you know the, the anti-depression and the clarity yeah I think that's something that isn't talked about enough and that's something that people desire uh, greatly well absolutely and you know if we're saying here that the scientific evidence shows that even two servings of commercial baked goods of fast food a week increases risk of developing depression by 50%. We're also saying that even those people who are not fully depressed have their moods depressed and have their enthusiasm for life depressed and live with mental dysfunction and mental fog and lack of creativity and clarity and, and their inability to perform to the best of their ability is still hindered even though they don't develop major depression. So it's not just the one in five Americans that become mentally ill that are affected by it. It's most of the majority of the other people eating the same diet is still having their emotions and their intellect suppressed by these, this diet that people, most people are eating. That's, that's crazy. All right. Um, well, I think everyone should go out and get this book, Fast Food Genocide. I have to say, super immunity, honest to God, changed my life. How you eat those foods every day. I, it went from avoiding foods to... Trying to get those foods in your diet made it, it was just mind blowing. She's the cook, so it changed my life too. <laughs> Fantastic. Yeah. Well, awesome thank book. you guys so much for spreading this message and for supporting other people and motivating people to take better care of their health. And wishing you great health always, you and your listeners and your people you teach. I'm so excited that you're part of this um, movement. Well, thank you so much. Awesome, Dr. Furman. Good luck with the rest of that ping pong. Thank you. Thank yeah. you. All right. Do you know the hang Thanks. up? Okay, I need to. That was really good. He's really was, good. He's really good. I was just like, I don't know. I'm on cloud nine. I gotta go. Yeah, he's. I have no thoughts. 
You have nothing? I'm not going to talk. No follow-up? I'm not going to talk anymore. I'm literally like, that was like, I was just talking to like, I don't know who your hero is. I feel like we, we could have had him a lot longer. But I got we nervous because like the moment we started talking, I was just like, oh my God, this has to be over because I'm just so like, that yeah, was so much. Yeah, I could see you kind of pointing towards the end. Um, but I mean, He's I think so good. Yeah. And he knows what he wants to talk about. So, I mean, he, he kind of went through our questions without he us did. asking them, um, which I kind of was hoping he would do. Um, I gotta go. Wow. What a, what a great interview. It was a great interview. It's pretty short though. Do you I, want to talk a little bit more? Go. I'm no, I'm like, I'm like shaking. I go. <laughs> okay. Okay. Well, this that has been Lisa beats your meat. was episode 30. That was a big 30. Yeah. That's crazy. That was a huge 30. All it's, right. it's a, it's only downhill from here. <laughs> <laughs> that was like the cream of the crop. Now we're going to keep trying to get good uh, guests on, but for real, um, this book is worth picking up. Fast it food is. genocide, but also super immunity, super immunity. I cannot talk enough about super immunity. Um, I will. So like the basis of it is that if you eat these certain foods and it's um, greens, mushrooms, onions, seeds, and berries, it's like the superfoods. If you eat these superfoods, Every day or, you know, majority of your days that it beefs up your immune system so much that you can not only reverse disease, but you can avoid disease. Um, like he ha- he goes into detail, but he has this process in there that it's like if cancer pops up in your body and your immune system is working at a 10, that your body will will get rid of that cancer. And it makes sense because it's the reason why people – Hundreds of hundreds of years ago, they were still eating, um, you know, a mostly plant-based diet. We're not getting these diseases because before, you know, industrialization and agriculture boomed, you know, we were eating a plant-based diet just because that's what you did as a family. You had a garden in your backyard and that's what you're eating. Um, so these diseases that we see all the time now weren't around back then. And it's because just by, you know, life, they were eating this healthy lifestyle. So he's just says, you know, you don't need diabetes. You don't need heart disease or, you know, any sort of, I don't, cancers. And he's saying, like, if you beef up your immune system, you can honest to God, your body can beat it. And it changed the way I saw my body. Instead, I, I'm always on like a, my body is <laughs> But it changed the way I thought about my body because I felt like instead of um, being, like, susceptible, it was like I put on this, like, this like shield of, you know, my immunity that it was like, nothing's going to bring me down. I'm cool. Yeah. What I like the most about all that too is, um, and he even said, you know, he's not, he's not saying don't eat meat, but he's saying if you eat a little bit of it, it, you know, aside from all the compassion and environmental stuff, we're just talking pure health. Um, the, the nutrients and the plants and all mm-hmm. that is going to, is going to overcome that. So yeah. if, if you make some bad decisions in your life, whether you eat, you know, not so healthy vegan food, or maybe you consume some drinks once in a while, or there's something you can overcome it. Yeah, there's something in your life that you that is worked in there that isn't so healthy. Right. It's it's really about, you know, what's the word I'm looking I, for? Yeah. Arming yourself. Arming. That's a good way to put it. Yeah. All okay. right. Well, that was Joel Furman. I'm gonna go, like, die. So, <laughs> I um. Thanks for listening. As always, subscribe. Check us out on YouTube. Um, follow me on Instagram. And we'll be yeah, back soon. Share this. Share, share this everywhere. Out, Tell your friends. Uh, Joel is the man, and we're lucky to have him. So. Dr. Joel Furman. All Episode right, we'll see 30. Bye.